chapter. We're reading chapter 4. If you're using the Church Bible, it's page 1220. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we read from verse 1. If you turn back for a moment to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see that Peter, he was one of the apostles of Jesus. He's writing now to God's people um, who are scattered in the world in various churches, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so he writes to them uh, to encourage them in the midst of suffering. They are experiencing persecution. So he writes in chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore since Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it a strange thing that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve each other, faithfully administering God's grace in its various or manifold form. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power, for ever and ever. Amen. During the month of November in our morning service, I have committed myself to preach on the office and the work of deacon. It is exactly a year ago this weekend, since we set apart three men to the office and work of elder in our congregation. And that is a great blessing, and I think it would be appropriate this evening in our prayer time that we take time to give thanks to God for these men and to continue to pray for them uh, as they learn uh, the work uh, of the eldership. 
But over the coming months, it is our intention to give the members of our congregation the opportunity to elect deacons. As we'll see uh, in our studies over the next couple of weeks, in the New Testament church, there are two distinct offices. There is the office of elder, uh, and that is subdivided into elders who rule, particularly as Jonathan and Johnny and Ronnie do, and the elder who teaches uh, primarily, uh, which is what I do. Uh, And then there is the second office, the office uh, of a deacon. And this short series of four sermons on the office and work of deacon is intended to enable and equip you to choose men for this office in a way that honours Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Head of the Church. Now the word deacon is derived from a Greek word meaning to serve or servants as it is when you speak of a person who serves or service when you speak of um, uh, the uh, work that the servants do. So there's these three aspects to the one word. To serve, servant, and service. And this word actually occurs approximately 100 times in the New Testament. The verb to serve occurs 37 times. The noun service occurs 35 times. And those who do the serving, the servant or the deacon, occurs 30 times. So almost evenly distributed. Serve, to serve, 37 times. Service, 35 times. And servant, stroke, deacon, 30 times. Now those of you who know your New Testament will be asking a question immediately. A question something like this. Does that mean that the office and the work of deacon is frequently discussed and set out in the New Testament? Does it mean every time you open the New Testament and read one of its 27 books, you will come across the office and the work of deacon? Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Of the hundred times that this word occurs, from which comes our word deacon, on only three occasions is it used to describe the office and the work of a body within the church. The three references, and I'm just going to mention them this morning, we'll come to them next week in detail. Philippians 1 verse 1. Paul writes to the elders and the deacons in the church at Philippi. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy uh, about the church in Ephesus. And he urges the election of elders in verses 1 to 7. And then in verse 8 and following he talks about the need to elect deacons also. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, there is a further reference 
uh, to that body of servants and that office. Perhaps you're asking another question now. Does that mean then that our warrant for having the office of deacon is weak? Only three times out of a hundred occasions when this word is used does it refer to a specific office in the church. Do we make too much in the church then of the office of deacon? Well, no, we don't. And it doesn't mean that our warrant for this office is weak. As we shall see the next time, the scriptural evidence for this distinct ongoing office of deacon is as strong as the scriptural evidence for the distinct ongoing office of elder. It is as strong. It's not as frequently mentioned, but it is as powerfully presented to us. What are we saying then? If we're saying in the one hand uh, that uh, the work and office of deacon is not frequently discussed, only three times, and yet with this other body of 97 references to serve, servant, and service, and if we're saying it doesn't undermine in any way or weaken the importance of the office of deacon. What are, we, what are we to make of all of this? Well, we're saying this. And this is the thrust of our message today. And I want you, if you remember nothing else, remember this. The specific calling of deacon to which some believers and church members are set apart emerges from the general calling to service to which all believers and church members are set apart. Let me repeat that for you. We're saying that the specific calling of deacon to which some believers and church members are set apart that that emerges from the general calling to service to which all believers and church members are set apart. All of you who've been saved by Christ are set apart to serve. That's the theme. And that's the place that we want to begin this morning as we think and begin to think in this month about the office of deacon. We want to think first of all and recognize first of all and emphasize first of all that every believer is set apart to serve. We might put it like this. Every believer is a deacon with a small d. And so I want to develop this theme and this thought this crucial thought uh, in four different directions. And you'll see them and the order of service and you'll see that it really forms a statement about set apart to serve. We're set apart to serve one another, first of all. Secondly, the wider church. 
Thirdly, according to the gifts that God has given us. And fourthly, independence on Christ. Set apart to serve one another and the body of Christ according to our gift, uh, independence on Christ. That's where we're going this morning. Our text this morning, uh, and uh, it's not so much an exposition of this passage, but it is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, page 1220. And then we will refer to other scriptures uh, to illustrate and consolidate what we want to, to show. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve. There's our verb. That's the verb to deacon, from which we get deacon. To serve each other faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And then Peter gives examples. If anyone speaks, you should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And then here is the verb again. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I believe it's verse like, verses like this which set forth this truth that we are all in Christ set apart to serve. And first of all, to serve one another. To serve one another. To be a Christian is to be a servant of Christ. It's to have given my life to him. Because he gave his life for sinners like me on the cross. And so I recognize my sin. I confess my sin. And I say, Lord Jesus, take this life that you've given me and live through me. Use me. And so we become a servant. And our lives are devoted to extending Christ's kingdom, to sharing the gospel with others, to showing his love, and doing whatever he calls us to do in life. Now, how are you to be the servant of Christ then? How is this to work out practically? Are you to sell up and go to Bible college? And become a missionary to some far-flung part of the earth where they've never heard of Christ. Is that what you are called to do, to be the servant? Well, no, for most Christians, that is not the nature of your service. The most common and normal way in which Christ asks you to serve him is by serving one another. In the church. By serving those. Whom you worship with. Those with whom. You love Christ. No Christian. Is self-sufficient. You and I need. Each other. We need our graces. Each other's graces. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's needs. 
We need each other's faults and failures. And we could take time to develop how we need all of those things. Because all of those things help us to become more like Christ as we serve one another. Despite our faults and despite our failures. In the Bible, the Christian church is compared or likened to the human body. Your body and my body has hundreds of parts to it. And every part in the body, whether a man has discovered it or not, including the appendix, and nobody quite knows what its purpose is, but it does have a role. And the point is that in your human body, the individual parts don't serve themselves. They don't do their own thing. They don't have their own agenda. No, the individual parts, if we are a normal, healthy person, function together. And they serve for the well-being of the whole. Let me illustrate. The foot doesn't walk off by itself. No, it carries the body to where the body wants to go. The mouth doesn't take in food simply to satisfy the taste buds that are there. No, that food is carried and passed through the mouth into the stomach and then it energizes the whole body. And so you and I as believers, we are to energize the whole body with our unique role, with our particular gift. As a member of Christ's body and Christ's church, we're not to be absorbed with myself. We're not to be like a foot that walks away and goes on its own. That's ridiculous. It's impossible in the natural body. And it's wrong when it happens in the body of Christ, in the church. When people become absorbed with myself, my needs, my wishes. No, I'm a part of the body to serve one another. To serve each other. We're blessed to have a welfare state. But it's not without its downsides. And one of the downsides of our welfare state, personally I believe, is that people expect the state to provide for them. To provide a house, to provide support um, uh, with children, to provide support with unemployment, uh, and to provide support in a whole range of ways and it encourages people to be takers instead of contributors. To be receivers instead of givers. And that's a real danger also in the church. That we belong to the church or we're a part of the church in order to take we take the teaching. We take the love. We take the support. We take the pastoral care. 
We take the hospitality and we don't give. We don't serve. And you are saved in Christ not only to receive from the ministry and from the other members but also to give to the ministry and to give to the other members. You're saved not only to be served but yourself to serve one another. Look at how Peter puts it here in 1 Peter 4 verse 10. As each one has received serve each other. Serve each other. And among Jesus' disciples there was a bit of a culture of I will sit back And I will let the others serve me. And some of them had the thought that they were too important to be servants. They wanted position and recognition and influence and power. And Jesus rebuked them with these words. Matthew 20 verse 26. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. It's the word deacon. Let him be your deacon. Are you a deacon this morning? Serving each other? Are you simply taking Expecting others to serve you all the time. If Jesus were to appear bodily in our church service this morning, we would all rush to serve him, wouldn't we? We'd want to get up and give him our seat. We'd want to make sure that we handed him the psalm book and the Bible. We'd go out of our way to make him feel welcome. We'd invite him to stay for lunch. Well, Jesus is in our service this morning. He is in our service this morning. In one another who belong to him. He's here in the people who sit around you. In front of you. And behind you. Remember what he said in Matthew 25 when the people were talking about when did we see you sick and hungry and he said and as much as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me. When you serve each other you are serving Christ. You're serving the great servant the great deacon himself who laid down all in order to save us. But then let's notice secondly this morning and the whole church or the wider church 
all set apart to serve one another and the wider church. The scriptures are clear. Every believer is to be added to a local church. Now that doesn't mean I attend the meetings of a church. That's not what it means to belong to the church. To contribute to the finances isn't belonging to the church. Belonging to a local congregation is being an integral part of that church. Being like a limb in your body. So closely connected that when the church body is there, you are there. Held together. Bound together in strong and deep ties like members of a family. That's Christ's will. You and I should be joined to the church just like your hand is joined to your body. Now the local church is the primary sphere where you and I serve. That's here in Oakfield Community Centre, Carrick Fergus Reformed Presbyterian Church. This is the primary sphere where you and I are to serve each other. But we must never lose sight of the fact that the local church is part of a larger church. The local church is part of a wider body, a bigger body. And that's not something that man has just devised over the years. It's something that's found at the heart of the New Testament. Read the New Testament and in practically every letter you will find the apostles writing to one church but they make reference to another congregation and they're speaking about their fellowship and they're speaking about their unity and their service. You see, the church in the New Testament was bigger and more extensive and more comprehensive and more diverse than the one congregation in Jerusalem or Antioch or Philippi or Rome or Corinth. The apostles whom Christ trained and whom Christ commissioned they constantly emphasize that the local congregation has an organic and spiritual connection to other local congregations. Yes, we are a body in ourselves, but we're part of a bigger body. That's what Scripture teaches. We're a bit like siblings born into the same family. And they grow up And they go to live in different cities, perhaps in different countries. But they're still siblings in the one family. 1 Peter 1 verse 1, we mentioned at the uh, beginning of our reading how Peter connects and links all these churches in different places. And then in chapter 5 verse 9, he talks to them about your brothers or your brotherhood throughout the world. There is a unity. 
between these people and these congregations and in all the other congregations that were part of the apostolic church in that day. In the New Testament congregations are not isolated. They're not separated from each other. They are joined together. They're united in a whole series of ways. In doctrine, for example, Acts 15, the whole issue of circumcision. And it's debated and decided by a church synod in Jerusalem. And then that decision is taken back, not only to the church in Jerusalem and Antioch, where the problem had arisen, but also in Syria and Cilicia and Cyprus and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. Why? Because the church, though she's various congregations, they are united together in doctrine. And so serving in the local congregation, yes, we do that, but we serve in the wider fellowship of the church. Paul shows in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 how they're united not only in doctrine, local congregations with one another, but also in service. And he uses, this is where our verb and our noun comes in again in Acts in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Paul is taking up a collection in the churches for the poor and the needy in Jerusalem. And he calls that the service. It's our word from which we get digging again. And he's showing again that as the believers in Corinth, as the believers in Antioch, as the believers in Rome and Greece and Asia Minor, as they each in their local congregation contribute to this relief fund, what are they doing? They're serving the wider church. Paul also envisages us serving one another in the wider church in prayer. How often he writes from one congregation and he urges the congregation to which he's writing to pray for the congregation where he presently is. And then Paul urges uh, the congregations to share and each other's ministers. He sends men from his missionary team, Timothy, to Ephesus. He sends somebody else to the church in Thessalonica. And they go and they see how these congregations are getting on, and they come back to the congregation in the place where Paul is working. And there's this encouragement of the churches one to the other. This acceptance of the ministry of men in the wider church. I had a very interesting illustration of this last week. Or application of this in my own family. I was at Inniskillen Reformed Presbyterian Church last Sabbath morning. And then my mother had invited me back to uh, home, as I call it, or my parents' house, for lunch. And my father had been at our, uh, the local congregation of the Presbyterian Church that I had grown up in, Pedigo Presbyterian Church. My mother wasn't there on that occasion. And uh, the talk started around lunch about church. 
And my mother uh, commented to my father about, well, what is happening at church this morning. And here's what my father said. And I'll probably need to interpret this for you. But he said, our own man is away. And we had a very poor congregation. Our own man is away. And we had a very poor congregation. He meant that their own minister was preaching somewhere else. They had a very poor congregation, not poor financially, although there may be that too. They had a small congregation. Do you see what happened? Their minister was away. People took the day off. Or else they went elsewhere. And they were failing to receive the ministry that was there as part of that wider fellowship of churches that was coming through the man that was there in this place. See, Paul and the New Testament and Peter and James and John, they've all this emphasis that we set apart to serve one another, not just in our local congregation, but in the wider church. We accept the doctrine of the wider church. We get involved in the service of the wider church. We pray for the wider church. We accept the ministry that comes from those in leadership in the wider church. And today, this congregation is part of a fellowship of Reformed Presbyterian churches. In Ireland, there are 40 congregations that make up what we call the denomination. And we're joined together in doctrine, in worship, in fellowship, in prayer, in financial responsibility. But then going beyond that, there's the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Scotland, North America, Cyprus, France, Australia. And with those, there's a worldwide fellowship of Reformed Presbyterian Churches. And that is a great blessing. It's a blessing. And it has been a great blessing to us. Eight years ago, when, we, when this work began in Carrickfergus, growing out of the Trinity Congregation, it was the wider church alongside Trinity. Yes, Trinity gave, but the wider church also gave. The wider church gave me to be an organizing pastor. The wider church still helps us today financially. The wider church has supported us prayerfully. The wider church provided us with elders and oversight until we had our own elders. What a blessing. But you see, with this responsibility where we're set apart to serve, with this blessing where others serve us, comes responsibility not just to be served by the wider church, but to serve the wider church. That's our responsibility. To serve by praying, to serve by finance, by giving, to serve by taking part in, in events that are outside our own local setting. Young people going to the camps, going to the conference that was in Castle Wellen in the summer, 
going to the recent missionary meeting that was in Shaftesbury Square. I wasn't there because I was on holiday. That's my excuse. But I wonder how many of our families were there. Are we serving in the wider church? Because we're set apart to serve one another. Yes, in the local congregation, but then in the wider church. Let's notice thirdly then, according to our gifts. According to our gifts. And look again at First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, where Peter says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received. Whatever gift he, and included in that as well, is she, has received. In other words, you and I, who have been saved by Christ, the great deacon, who came and served with his life, and served through his death to save us from our sins, he then gives us a gift. Not something necessarily spectacular and flashy and extraordinary or unusual, but very ordinary, mundane, everyday skills, we could put it like that, with which to serve one another. And notice, each one, nobody can say, nobody can say, I am a Christian and I have no gift with which to serve each other. Otherwise, you contradict what this scripture says. Each one has received a gift. Now, very, very quickly, and it's the, um, let's just notice how this word serve and servant and service is used in a wide-ranging way to cover a whole spectrum of gifts and service and ministry that we can exercise. It's used, for example, of making a meal. Matthew 8, verse 15. Peter's mother-in-law has been sick and Jesus comes and he heals her. And we're told that immediately she got up and she ministered unto them. It's our word deacon. She deaconed unto them. She served them. We'll not take time to look up the reference, but it's used of Martha and Mary. How often they served Jesus. So, making a meal. That's a form of service. It's used of providing practical care. Matthew 27 verse 55, we're told about Jesus that women followed him from Galilee ministering, deaconing to him. So here's women who came and followed him and no doubt they've brought for his practical everyday needs. That's what it means. Practical everyday needs. The kind of care a wife would give to a husband. A mother would give to their child. Or one other reference. Philemon, verse 13. Paul refers to a slave, Onesimus. Who's come to him when he's in prison. When Paul's in prison. And he says, he ministered to me. He deaconed to me 
in my chains. Now, what did that mean? Well, Paul can't go outside this building. And Paul, no doubt, has various needs, and he wants to communicate with various people. And here's a man, and he's just a messenger. Back and forward, back and forward. Paul, I'll take your clothes and wash them for you. Paul, I'll do this for you, or that for you. And you see, that's again the words used of that kind of practical, down-to-earth care. It's used, as we've seen, of giving financial support uh, to needy believers. Uh, in Second Corinthians 8 and 9. And then it's used right the way through to the biblical office of deacon and elder. What a spectrum. From making a meal to meeting people's practical needs to giving financial help to right the way through to the preaching of the word that is deaconing. Paul puts it in Ephesians 3 verse 7. The gospel of which I became a minister. I became a servant. I became a deacon. So here's a whole spectrum of service that uses our gifts. And in our fellowship. When you take someone a meal. When you give someone transport, you are using a gift that you have. When you talk to the visitor, you're using a gift that you've been given. When you send a card to a member who is going through a, a difficult time or some discouragement, you are serving. When you meet someone for coffee or go for a walk with them, or pop in for a few minutes with another church member just to see how they're doing. That is serving each other. That's part of what Peter refers to here as the manifold grace of God or God's grace in its various forms. See, His grace. Yes, it saved us from our sins, but then it ministers to us through each other in a whole range of ways. Let's notice then finally, this morning, set apart to serve one another and the wider church according to our gift and then independence on Christ. And now we're looking at the middle of verse 11. Where Peter says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised. God provides the strength, and God receives the praise as we serve one another. That means very practically that we are not to go about our service in our own strength. In our own strength. We're to do it in God's strength. And that will mean every time we go to serve, we consciously take time to ask the Lord to go with us. It's not about just jumping into the car when we've just had a, a, a momentary thought, oh, I should call with so-and-so. And just racing down to their door and running in and doing it in our own strength, that's not going to achieve very much. 
We're to do it prayerfully. We're to do it in dependence upon God's strength. And uh, we are then to do it giving him praise. The ability God supplies. That he may be praised in all things through Jesus Christ. In whatever ways you are presently serving. Don't think I've done this a thousand times before. Don't think I've visited people over the years. I have a lot of experience in life. I can just saunter into their homes. Or don't think I can turn up to a Sabbath school class because I've this or that background and I've this or that experience. Or I can just turn up to a Friday night club and wing it. As the saying is. Nowhere to do it. In God's strength. What would you think of a minister? He went about serving in the ministry. What would you think of me? If I did so without prayer. Prepared his sermons without prayer. Came to visit you without prayer. Came to lead worship without prayer. Came to the midweek without prayer. Gave leadership to the congregation without prayer. What would you think? You'd be horrified. I hope you wouldn't have a minister like that about you for two minutes. Well, is it any different for the members? Your deacons. Your servants. Using your gift. You're to exercise that ministry that Christ has given you with prayer. You see, it's prayer and the ministry. Always, for us as elders, it's prayer and the ministry of the word. For you, it's prayer and whatever ministry the Lord has given you. So, set apart to serve one another. The wider church, according to our gifts, independence on Christ. One final sentence. Notice those words set apart. And I want to speak to anyone here this morning who's not a Christian. Because those words set apart are deliberate. Because we can't serve Christ until we're first of all set apart by him in salvation. We can't serve Christ until we've come to that point where we have recognized our sin and confessed our sin and sought his forgiveness and become a new creature. And if that's not you this morning, then I urge you to go to Christ and to cry out to him now, Lord Jesus, set me apart to yourself. Set me apart from my sin. Set me apart from the world. Set me apart for your service the rest of my life. Set apart to serve. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.
our God and our Father in heaven. We recognize that you're calling us to do what your Son did, what you asked him to do. The only difference is, and the vital difference is, that the service that he was called to give was so much greater and so much more significant and important because his service was to come to this world and to seek and to save lost sinners. We thank you that Christ is the great deacon, the one who served faithfully, who kept your commandments, who laid down his life as the sacrifice for the sins of many, who took it up again on the third day, and who still serves your people today in heaven at your right hand. Thank you for Jesus, the true deacon. And thank you that it is he who makes us servants. Of ourselves we do not have the heart of a servant. Thank you that Christ in the gospel comes to us, calls us to repent of our sin, to believe and to be saved, and then saved to serve. We thank you that many of us here today know what it is to be saved. We pray that we would also pursue service as those who have been saved. Give us grace to serve you, to serve one another according to our individual gifts, to serve the wider church, to do so in dependence upon Christ and for the praise and glory of his name. We pray for any who do not yet know Christ, who are not yet set apart by the gospel, by his salvation. We pray that even now, that you might speak to them in such a way that they know that you are calling them to repent, to believe, to be set apart in their lives unto you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're turning to page 236 in the Psalms for singing. Psalm 100a, and I want you to notice the words that we're going to be singing in the opening verse. Oh, gladly serve the Lord. Gladly serve the Lord. We haven't touched on that today, but that's a vital aspect of how we're to do our service. Gladly. We're singing 100a and all of it uh, to the tune Dunlop's Creek, number 78. Let us stand to sing praise. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. <clears throat> 